Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of And Finally with me, Sam Vader, um, where this week we're going to be doing something I suppose a bit different to, to normally. Um, this is an idea I've had for a while to incorporate into And Finally and I spoke with King's Eyes earlier and he said he's uh, fully okay with it. Nothing against it, obviously you said it's my show, I can sort of do what I want and it is still in keeping with the theme so as opposed to doing something that's more historic fact based or um, I don't know, more based on a particular person or monument from history with all the facts and figures about them I'm going to be looking into a myth this week and that's something I'll be incorporating into future episodes obviously not every episode, we're still going to be sticking with historical figures and such as well but we're going to be incorporating myths as well because this is something that I've always been very interested in my mythologies and myths and I've got plenty of books on specific mythologies I've got my big book of like all mythologies I've, I've got loads I even almost did a little mini dissertation in college on mythologies before that program got cancelled but I had all my resources and research and stuff ready so it's something I'd, I know a fair bit about but obviously I'll do more research for each episode anyway like I have with this I read my uh, books and stuff for this one I've still got the book next to me that I used mainly um, and yeah so that that's what we'll be uh, be going with this week and before I get obviously into the episode proper I would once again like to say that we here at Sigil Arts do of course stand with the Black Lives Matter campaign and all similar campaigns going on at the moment and for the foreseeable future to get equality for people around the world and, and really make a change for the better and we are working on ways to show our support even better and really stand at the forefront in future but with uh, all of that sort of announcement stuff I suppose out of the way we will get into the episode proper which this week is on one of my favorite uh, mythological stories ever because it's just mad and it's on the story of Ragnarok and uh, yeah this isn't just being done for King's Eyes by the way who obviously is Norwegian himself this I'm sure he'll enjoy it um, and my family is also Norse descent as well Nor they came from Norway to Ireland and then settled eventually well from Ireland and then my family moved to England a few generations back but yeah so definitely I, I love this one Norse mythology in general is probably one of my favorite mythologies just because of the fact that I mean they must have been pissed when they wrote most of this um so yeah I don't yeah and I love it and Ragnarok's even it's just fantastic no we're not talking about the film by the way the film is fantastic, Thor Ragnarok, and I will eventually cover that in my other podcast, You Have Failed, but this is about the actual story Ragnarok that was sort of written by the Norse people. Uh, the main source is, uh, the source I use for this is actually uh, Neil Gaiman's book on Norse mythology. Obviously, he's normally a fiction writer, but he knows his stuff, and he wrote a really nice book on some of the key Norse myths, and uh, yeah, there's a nice bit on uh, Ragnarok in here, but I, I looked at other sources, my, a few of my other books and internet sources, to gather more of the narrative of Ragnarok, and maybe a few facts facts thrown in there as well. So we'll try out this episode and hope everyone likes me talking about myths. So uh, in case anyone doesn't know, Ragnarok is basically the climactic battle uh, and, and the events that lead to the destruction and rebirth of the cosmos or originating in Norse myths. So this is basically their apocalypse story and it's so much better than everyone else's. You know, the Christian one, like, the, ooh, the, to be fair, the Christian one basically ripped off Ragnarok. 
that made it far more boring. You know, a battle between angels and demon. Like Ragnarok has it so much better, and it Ragnarok's amazing. That's all I'm saying. The film and the real story. Um, and Ragnarok itself, and I could be a bit off with the translation here. Obviously, this is sort of what the internet says, and if I do get this wrong, I'm sorry. Cornelius might even be able to correct me on this. I'm not sure how much Norse language has changed through the years. But um, it roughly translates to either the fate of the gods or the twilight of the gods, um, implying its its role as the apocalypse story and the end of everything that, that is and was in, in, Norse, in the Norse world. Um, and yet, what I find interesting about this, because it's an apocalypse story, um, it obviously isn't really set in the past at all. And that's where, technically, I don't know if this actually qualifies for an episode of Anne Finally, because this is all about the past. But the story was told in the past by a culture of the past. So, uh, you know, we'll roll with it, and uh, I'll tell a story that is going to take place in the future that was told way in the past, because... That's just uh, how he be rolling at the moment. So yeah, Ragnarok, as I say, it's not as much even a story really, it's a prophecy uh, from the old Norse people. And this means that the Norse gods and those people that still believe in the old Norse religion, if they do still exist, I'm sure there's still a few people out there who share these beliefs, are still in fact actually waiting for Ragnarok to happen. The same way that, as I say, Christians await the sort of antichrist christ angels versus demons apocalypse story uh the gods the norse gods are still awaiting ragnarok um in their religion and anyone who follows that belief still um yeah they still are awaiting it as well because i suppose that's something to clear up now whether i use religion or myth in some ways and i hope i don't offend anyone in saying this but in some ways those words are interchangeable because all the mythologies are, are religions that have gone out of date. Uh, religions that aren't really followed anymore by mass population. So obviously these are things that people believe the same way Christians and Buddhists and uh, Muslims believe their religions today. They're just religions that have gone out of date and have become more stories than actual solid beliefs. So if I use the word religion, say I hope I'm not offending anyone there, but that's my justification for it because mythologies are just religions that are no longer followed and people don't have belief in for the mass populace i'm sure there might still be someone out there who believes in the norse gods i really hope there is and i really want to meet them because norse mythology is amazing guys it really is so yeah this this story the norse gods still up in um what's it called called asgard i can't even think of the name i've watched all the full films and read the comics and read the mythology uh, still waiting in Asgard for for uh, Ragnarok to happen, um, and yeah, it's definitely my favourite apocalypse story from all those that I've read from all ancient cultures because it's it's insane. And when we get into this, I can't stress enough how how mental and, and weird and wacky it is. Norse mythology in general, obviously, when I do more Norse stories, you'll realise just how wacky all this stuff is. But it's brilliant and it, it's so perfect in its his wackiness and yeah it's probably because they were all absolutely hammered at the time of writing it but it, it's just so perfect and i can't stress how how well it all fits together despite being weird um because this is quite a detailed story as well in in the, mainly the setup really 
the setup is the most detailed part because once it gets going, just everything just goes up in flames quite literally. But the setup to it is quite intricate in everything that happens. So um, the records of Ragnarok, actually, this is one of the few facts you can squeeze about this, um, have actually survived in three poems. This is where modern historians or people who study myth or Old Norse, I'm not sure what they'd be called really, um, get their information for Ragnarok from. It, it's from these three poems that have been preserved in the Poetica Edda, a 13th century compilation of earlier traditional stories, and the Prose Edda, which was another sort of compilation of stories, uh, both, I believe, yeah, written in the 13th century. Um, so yeah, whilst Ragnarok is an event that obviously is believed that will, it will take place in the future, um, it's believed to have already been set in motion though, so despite the fact that, yes, this, this hasn't happened yet, what started it and, and what starts the events leading up to it took place actually a very, very long time ago at this point. And that's another thing I find fascinating, most apocalyptic stories, you know, like the, um, Christian one is sort of the rebirth of Christ and the birth of the Antichrist that sort of kicks off the apocalypse. Um, whereas this one, it's already started, according to Norse beliefs. The, the end of the world's already begun, and we're just in the intervening part where we're leading up to this final uh, conclusion. Um, and, and the events that were set in motion are all thanks to everyone's favourite trickster god, Loki being a pain in the bum in the MCU and in real Norse mythology, um, but obviously Tom Hiddleston is a god in his own right, but that's not the point. So what Loki did was, um, yeah, so Loki obviously liked to pull pranks on, on the Norse gods, and for the most part they were all relative, relatively harmless, and, and he was allowed to get away with them, but then he, uh, yeah, he, he put yeah, he went a bit too far. So there was obviously Boulder, one of the most liked amongst the North Norse gods, uh, unless you uh, what played God of War. In which case, you know, I will stress right now, as much as I love the God of War franchise, I promise you, all my knowledge of mythology does not come from God of War, right? I, I, <laughs> I don't need to stress that. This isn't where I'm getting any of this from. I'm just saying, God of War's good. Anyway, yeah, so Baldur was obviously very liked by the uh, Norse gods, and um, his mother was afraid that he would die, uh, Frey, Freya, however you want to say it, it depends from story to story, and uh, she gave him an invulnerability, uh, and Loki sort of then pretended, so he was then basically used as target practice by the other gods, because he couldn't feel anything, and it was sort of a joke amongst other gods, but they all got on, it was all fine, until one day Loki... Um, yeah, Loki asked what his one weakness was. He pretended to be a witch or whatever, approached Frey and said, oh, is, is there an actual weakness? And Frey went, yes, uh, the young mistletoe plant never really gave its consent for him to be invulnerable to. So Loki fashioned a dart out of um, mistletoe, tricked Boulder's blind brother into throwing it at him, and it killed him instantly. And this this didn't sit well with, with the guards, especially not Odin, because um, that's one of his kids. And yeah, Loki was then, as punishment, was chained to boulders and had a venomous snake suspended above his head, dripping venom into his face. And it's rumoured that his wife um, it actually sits next to him with a bowl, 
catching the venom, but every time she has to empty the bowl, he's in agonizing pain as this venom drips onto his face. And yeah, up to this point, his pranks had been relatively harmless, and he had a quite a good relationship with the uh, Norse pantheon uh, of the Asia and of Asgard in general. But this one, this one really put him out of favor with the gods, and and this was this is the beginning of Ragnarok at this point. Um, yeah, it. It didn't go well for him after this, and this is what sets off these this whole event. Just one prank, one I would say harmless. He killed a guy. One not very harmless prank pulled by Loki. Um, but there's another th potential thing that actually sets off Ragnarok, and that could also have been the shackling of, of Fenrir, um, one of Loki's children, uh, which is a wolf. I, I don't know how Loki pulled this off. Loki's got some weird children. He's got like an eight-legged horse. He's got a wolf. He's got a giant snake and a woman who's dead from the waist down. See what I mean about Norse myth? It's just mental, insane. But yeah, so Fenrir um, being shackled uh, on Asgard is also potentially another start to Ragnarok. Uh, Loki's the main thing. This might be another thing that helped to kick it off. Fenrir was uh, basically shackled up because um, he bit off, uh, what's his name? Um, um, Tyr, the uh, Norse god of war. That's on, yeah, he, he basically bit off his arm. So he was then shackled um, on Asgard and had a sword placed in his mouth to keep it open so he couldn't bite at anyone ever again. And whilst this could also be part of the process that begins Ragnarok, this is not as confirmed or as clear-cut as the fact that Loki's imprisonment is what kicked off the events that would lead to Ragnarok. Um... And so this is then sort of skipping forward. This that's the start of it, and then obviously we're in the intermediate intermediate period, and then we get to the actual Ragnarok itself. So it's said at the beginning of Ragnarok, three roosters will warn the giants, gods, and the dead respectively that the end is approaching. Uh, the rooster Fajala. I don't know how to say that, which means all Noah apparently will go to the giants. The uh, obviously big enemy of the Norse gods, the ones that Thor famously fights off, and that's why he's seen as a hero because of his antics fighting off the giants and protecting, protecting mankind. Um, a second rooster, Galinkambi, will go warn the Norse gods themselves, and a final red rooster will go to Helheim, which is hell, and uh, will warn the dead of the approaching apocalypse. Um, but while this is happening, the uh, world of mortal men, also known as Earth or Midgard, in Norse myth, uh, will experience a series, like a series of unusual events. The the main one will be a, basically a winter that's the coldest winter man has ever experienced, that will last for basically three years with no summer in, in the middle. And uh, <clears throat> over these three years, this will apparently rob humans of their laws and morals, and cause people to be. I read it. It said. Um, Brother kill brother, father kill son, <coughs> which is basically a way of saying we're all going to tell on each other and just start killing each other anyway. Um, so, awesome. We might be in that stage already, you know. <coughs> I, you read some of these apocalypse stories, and to be fair, the Christian one's quite scary as well, the way it describes it, with everything that goes on, and you think, could we be there? It's like unusual weather and stuff. Read the, um, after this, read the Christian apocalypse story. Because that probably won't be covered in this series. Because 
technically that's not under the category of myth yet or history because that's that's still a current belief um but go read it because it's quite frightening when they explain what symbolizes the coming of the end and you realize that shit this shit is going on now and similar to this you know like maybe the winter hasn't but robbing of laws and morals it's concerning considering what times are in at the moment um and but that's not all the wolves school and hearty that have been it's probably not hearty that's the uh, elephant from jungle book but i don't know how else to say that uh, they're the wolves that have been hunting the sun and the moon f from basically the dawn of time but they will finally catch the sun and moon and this will plunge the world into darkness uh, just another very obvious symbol that the world is frankly ending and uh, then just you know just make things even better the great tree uh, Yggdrasil which is obviously the, the, the world tree that holds the nine realms of Norse mythology together um, this will start to shudder and cause massive earthquakes that even mountains start to topple and fall, causing even more mass destruction and death on Midgard. I don't know, I mean, on the other realms as well, but Midgard seems to be getting the worst of this. I mean, maybe it's, you know, men, women, we probably deserve it at this point. Because um, here we go, the Dome of the Earth will then split open and through the crack, the, the giants of Muspelheim will spill into the other realms and the monstrous wolf Fenrir will break free of its shackles and run through the world devouring everything before him so it doesn't look very it's looking quite bleak for humans uh, I mean it's quite bleak anyway but you know it's, it's not doing great um but don't worry it's gonna get better Jormungandr or Jormungand the uh the world serpent the midgard serpent however you want to uh, call it its title it's got many this is the uh, serpent that dwells within the earth and is that big that it wraps itself around the whole earth dwelling in the waters and actually eats its own tail because it's that big it, it just fits around the whole thing and then can put its tail in its mouth it's quite impressive and this is also obviously one of loki's children uh, yes, but this um, this giant serpent that encircles the world will rise from the sea and cover the world in water because, you know, displacement apparently now works the other way. I don't... If it comes out of the water, you'd think there'd be less... Uh, whatever, he's going to flood the earth and then spit his venom all over the world, poisoning the land, sea and sky. Because things just keep getting worse. Why aren't the other realms, you know, suffering like this? Basically, Earth's the big battlefield for this, for this, and this is why we get, um, yeah, we get screwed. Uh, but the earthquakes actually are rocking the nine worlds currently. We'll actually free the ship Nagulfar from, um, from its, where it's being held currently. And this is a ship that's actually made from the fingernails and toenails of the dead. Um, but this will actually be the ship that Loki sails to Asgard and sails into battle and on board the ship he'll be joined by his daughter Hel that is the uh, Hel with only one L by the way uh, the, the daughter that is dead from the waist down and she, he'll be joined by an army of the dead themselves all the people that were sent to Helheim which are obviously the people who died dishonorably or just were bad people um, and didn't get to go to uh, Asgard or uh, Valhalla not Asgard sorry yeah Valhalla um, sorry I mixed that up um, they will join him on on this voyage to attack Asgard. Um, but of the dead, con weirdly enough, of the dead condemned to Helheim, only the gods Baldur, Baldur and Hodor, 
H-O-D-R, sorry, I think I might have cut out a bit, who was the brother of Baldur, uh, they will actually be returned to fight alongside their Norse god Kin. Now, the reason they went to Helheim isn't because they were dishonourable, it's because the gods, I think, put a petition down to Hell, saying that, look, can we have Baldur back? Can he return from the dead? Because obviously she oversees the dead and everything. And uh, obviously, I suppose he died dishonourably as well, because he got hit with the mistletoe, and that's why Hodor went to Helheim as well, because he killed his brother accidentally. Loki made him do it, but that's not the point. Uh, and he said, only if everyone mourns him can you have him back. And a witch uh, refused to cry a tear for him, so he, he got banished to Helheim. And it's rumoured that that witch may have also been Loki, refusing to be sad about this guy's death. Um, but yes, because of this, they are the, actually the only two warriors of Helheim who actually go back and join the warriors of Asgard to fight along their Norse god friends and kin. Uh, Loki is obviously then also joined in battle later on by his other two sons, Fenrir and Jormungandr, as well as his daughter, Hel. Uh, Loki's forces will join an army of giants led across the Bifrost Bridge uh, into Asgard by Surtur, or Surt, who is obviously in Thor Ragnarok, he's the fire demon you see at the start whose role in Ragnarok is very similar to um, in the film to in real life. That, that was one of the few accurate things about the story because his sword that is famously a flaming sword and burns brighter than the sun and he will use this sword to set the realm of the gods and the rest of the nine worlds on fire um, which obviously you don't see it happen to the rest of the nine worlds in Thor Ragnarok. But he does obviously use his sword, he stabs it into Asgard and destroys the whole thing. So that bit was quite accurate in the film. Um, and yes, yeah, so Loki and Surt and the, the giants basically charge in through the Bifrost Bridge and lay siege to Asgard. Uh, but while this is going on, Heimdall, the guardian of the Bifrost Bridge, uh, obviously once again also seen in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, will sound his horn to summon the divine sentry of Asgard. And Odin will be joined in battle by the fallen warriors who have passed into Valhalla in the afterlife and at the side of Odin and the Norse gods they will fight supposedly more valiantly than any man has ever fought before. So against the army of the dead, uh, Loki's mutant children, uh, giants, Surtur and, and obviously Loki himself, you've got Odin, the rest of the gods and all of the good and noble warriors who have gone to to Valhalla and they will fight the most valiant fight that has ever been seen in, in Norse history, supposedly. Um, and while this is going on though, there there is a very more private, um, more separate battle taking place, taking place back on Earth. And this is, is the fight between Thor and the World Serpent who have long been rivals their story's a bit weird and involves a bit of time travel and their rivalry and it's it's all a bit weird but basically they really don't like each other and and this is their last chance to duke it out to see who's best and in a final swing thor manages to kill the words world serpent with his ha uh, famous happer happer hammer mjolnir but uh, unfortunately it was after this he will take nine more paces and then die succumbing to the poison the world serpent had been spitting out across the world um and then will join and he's obviously now unable to join his fellow gods in battle because he has fallen to um to Jormungandr who obviously he has slayed himself and I always found it really 
fascinating this, like how specific it was that he would take nine paces. I, I, I couldn't find anywhere, but there must be some, someone somewhere knows the significance of that. And if someone does, please let me know on either my Discord server or on Twitter and let me know if there's any significance to the nine paces uh, or that's just a, a number that was said to be how many you would take. Um, Odin will ride his steed Slepinir into battle which ironically is the son of Loki that's like the eight-legged horse. It's, it's all a bit weird so I, whatever. Uh, yeah he'll ride him into battle uh, as the head of his army of fallen warriors and unfortunately though despite their valiance and their courage Odin and his warriors will eventually uh, be beaten by Fenrir the uh, wolf who will devour all of them with his mouth still wedged open by the sword placed in there by the Norse god so despite his mouth being forced open he will still fight his way through the Norse forces and the Valhalla army and, and kill most of them so Fenrir is really putting in work for, for team Loki in this fight um, but then one of Odin's sons Vyadir, V-I-D-A-R, kind of like Vader, but but not as good. Um, <laughs> uh, he will in turn, though, kill Fenrir. Um, he will wedge one of his enchanted shoes made from every scrap of leather ever discarded by a human shoemaker. And he will wedge this foot into Fenrir's jaw and ram the sword that's stuck there down his throat. Um, which... This is what I mean about Norse mythology. It's so detailed, but just so weird. This scrap of leather ever discarded by a human shoemaker. It's mental, and then he just kicks into the guy's mouth and just wedges the sword into his throat and kills it. It's... This is why this is the best, best end of day story, guys. This is honestly fantastic. Um, and I suppose, not weirdly enough, it makes sense. Odin being devoured by Fenrir is probably the most popular scene to ever appear um, in a Viking depiction of Ragnarok. And the death of Odin, obviously, more so than any other Norse god, including the likes of Thor, uh, who is obviously probably the most famous Norse god, mainly due to Marvel. It, it, this seems to be the mark of the proper end point for, for the gods, for the world as the Vikings knew it. It was, this is why his death is the most prominent, because this is, that's the one that I suppose essentially marks the end. Uh, the end of everything, I suppose. But, obviously there are many rivalries that meet their end during this battle. And some of them are Hard, the Wolf Guardian of Helheim. And, and, uh, Tritir. Oh no, it must be Tyr. Heimdall and Loki famously, um, finish each other off. And, uh, Frey and Sert, or F-R-E-F-Y and Serta will also finish each other off in this climactic battle and uh, the two forces will actually fight until almost all are dead and the nine worlds are just completely set ablaze and actually in some of the earlier accounts of Ragnarok at the end of the battle all nine worlds or all the nine realms in Norse mythology will just sink into the sea leaving nothing but a void and Ragnarok is just the flat out end of all things but in more later accounts there is actually a renewal in the story and, and it's possible that this is due to Christian influence. So the void is more representative of a more pagan Norse original story and then a bit more Christian influence comes in with a bit of renewal to it. But we don't know where the two variations come from and which one was the most believed. 
But in the renewal version, some of the Norse gods actually survive, in particular Odin's son and Avenger Vaidir uh, survives, as do Thor's two sons, Modi and Magni, who actually inherit, inherit, inherit Thor's famous hammer, Mjolnir, to go on and build, build a new a new society I suppose and a man and woman a human man and woman called Lif and Lofharisha meaning life and striving for life also apparently survived the climatic battle by hiding in a wood called Homidmimis H-O-D-D-M-I-M-I-S Hodmimis 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 Holt and uh, together they actually repopulate the world and a new son, the daughter of the previous one, will rise into the sky. This new Norse world is much like, much like the old one, really. And the surviving gods will actually live in Idoval, which is a realm that basically remained untouched during the whole thing. And they'll basically recreate what Asgard was, and all things will sort of return to normal with everything starting again. And. Uh, yeah that's sort of how how the story goes and that's the renewal or you can believe that it all ends and that's it end of north everything's gone um but this this i suppose shows a really unique and interesting thing about the norse and and their beliefs because one way that i saw this story as being viewed and how they viewed it back then and i think is the best way to view it maybe that's because i've got norse ancestry or maybe just because i like to think this is this is what they were thinking when it was all going on you know this didn't make vikings afraid this didn't make them fear everything that was going to happen um because this is obviously quite a fatalistic like depressing dark view of the end of the world this is quite one of the worst ones of all apocalypse stories because this is the end of everything completely everything wiped from existence you know nothing survives not even the gods and it's quite a grim and, and dark dark outlook and you know obviously vikings didn't live in the best of conditions and the way they describe hell as a freezing thing with the fucking wind north facing and you know and but this is a future that they've written for themselves that was inevitable you know, even the gods can't avoid this future. So, does that, shouldn't that, that, to some people, that would make them think it's all futile. If this inevitable destruction is coming that not even the gods can avoid, what, what's the point in anything if you don't have that power? But I don't think that ever really stopped the Vikings and they weren't defeated by it. They were sort of encouraged. This gave them empowerment. Because if your death is inevitable, what do you have to fear from it? Um, you know, if it's going to come no matter what you do, what's the point in, in fearing it In if it's always going to happen? The best you can do is, is meet, it, meet it with courage and honour. And maybe I'm reading too much into it and maybe a few of the other people who sort of gave similar statements or inspired me to come to that conclusion and just the story obviously just reading the story sort of made me come to that I suppose maybe I'm reading too much into it and maybe that's not true but but perhaps it is and even if it wasn't true for the Vikings why couldn't we adopt that way of thinking because I've got to f find a way to make this somewhat educational um, like I do with all the other episodes, or I try to, and try and relate it to, to life and maybe modern events and everything, and 
Maybe that's a way we can look at this, because, you know, even if we don't want to believe in some big apocalyptic story where everything's going to end, one thing we can be sure of, and actually the one thing you can always be sure of in your life, is that you will die. And I'm sorry, this is, that's quite dark and morbid, but it's dark and morbid, but true. None of us are getting out of this alive, you know. We've all got a limited time on this earth and then we pop our clogs and if you believe in an afterlife, you go there. If you don't, you're done. You're not at nothing. So why be afraid of that? Because obviously a lot of people do fear death and I'm not trying to tell them they shouldn't and I'm not trying to tell them how to live their lives and they shouldn't fear it. All I'm saying is, you know, if it is so inevitable, why live in fear of it when you can just enjoy your life while you still got it you know tomorrow's never promised you, you can never guarantee you'll make it to tomorrow and you know i touch wood this doesn't happen you know i might not live to publish this episode <laughs> fingers crossed i do you know this is a good one i'm proud of this one but you never know what's coming so why not live today and not fear tomorrow and you know face the inevitability of it with a smile and go you know what I'm gonna make it matter while I can and maybe that's what Ragnarok's trying to tell us or maybe it's trying to tell us that Norse people were constantly pissed off their heads and wrote kick-ass stories that would last the test of time and make a brilliant Marvel film you know what that's the take I want to take away from this because it's less morbid and just as true Chris Hemsworth, you're my guy. And yeah, I suppose that, that's the story of Ragnarok. So thank you so much for listening. And before I do completely wrap up, I will, of course, mention our sponsor, as always, for uh, right now anyway, is King Styles Apparel. They do brilliant merch. Uh, it's merch for me, same Vader, that is in the Failure collection, but there's also a shirt of mine in the creators of King's Eyes collection. There's also the uh, Statement collection and the Clansmen Unite collection. All brilliant, all constantly adding, all brilliant people who are putting them out there. And there are more to come, like for Glitter, I'm sure she'll get her own merch line eventually. And it will look just as fantastic because I have all the faith in King's Eyes, Glitter, Edo, and all my fellow creators who I have worked with, discussed with, or haven't even met yet in everything you do. So we everyone is doing a brilliant job to put out the best content for you so why not support them by buying their merch or at least sharing their podcast with people you know to try and get them more listens because that always helps us the more attention we get the more we can put out and the more we can do to make our the listening experience even better for you guys so please do go out there and support your favorite creators as i say the ones i've worked with the closest are obviously king's eyes glitter and edo all three of them are brilliant people and I'm honestly honoured to work with all four of them, although I'd never say that to them in person and they're going to hold this against me now. And all the other people involved in Sigil Arts who I haven't mentioned because I haven't really interacted with them yet, but they still put out great content. I still listen to all podcasts. I still look at all work that goes on with, with Sigil Arts and I, th I really hope you choose to support your favourite content creators. So honestly thank you so much for listening if you do have any questions about this or you do want to talk to me about this you can obviously find me on twitter either at vader Saiyan or at and finally sv which is obviously the specific show page or you can join the discord server which will also be linked 
on the um, on King's Eyes website or on my Twitter or you can find it somewhere else I don't know you'll find it somewhere um, and interact with me talk about this talk about anything else you want or any topics you want to come up in future videos so yes once again I will repeat myself thank you so much for watching listening listening you didn't watch anything you listened sorry King's Eyes I messed up again it's late I'm sorry and finally I'll speak to you next week <laughs>